If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 711. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Of course, all of those accounts are at Brian McClanahan. While you're there at brianmcclanahan.com, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get the free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And of course, purchase one or 20 classes there. Get my latest class, McClanahan Academy live class. It is awesome. I've never done this before where you get me live. Causes of the Civil War. It's going to be a great class. When you sign up for it, I can guarantee you're going to love it. But you got to get in on it because enrollment will close at a very soon date. So get in on the McClanahan Live Causes of the Civil McClanahan Academy Live, I should say, Causes of the Civil War. It's going to be a fantastic course, and I, you're going to walk away from that with a deeper understanding of the war than most Americans walking around today. You can also support the show by clicking on the Super Thanks button under this video if you're watching on YouTube. You can, of course, support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can support it by clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com and getting my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Uh, you know, give it that five-star review. Leave it a review. Comment on it on YouTube. That helps the algorithm. And then also send me those show requests if you do like the show. I want to know what you want to hear. All right. Well, I mentioned yesterday that uh, the end of that piece uh, talked about a constitutional crisis. And it was all about Trump, right? Trump is creating a constitutional crisis in America. And you have the Washington Post editorial board believing that uh, reasonable people can disagree about policy, but no one that's reasonable can ever support Donald Trump and what he's doing. Again, this is about delegitimization. So I want to talk about the Constitution. So one thing I didn't do last week during Constitution Day week, right? I didn't talk about the Constitution. So I waited a week to do this. I've done Constitution Day episodes before. Constitution Day is a ridiculous holiday. Now, this piece that I'm going to talk about today is from a political science professor who thinks that Constitution Day should be a national holiday. And when I mean a national holiday, I mean people should get the day off for Constitution Day. But the entire episode is indicative of what we have in America and the distortion of history. September 17th is not anything, doesn't have anything to do with the Constitution other than that it was signed in Philadelphia and sent to the states for ratification. It was just a piece of parchment. It hadn't been ratified. It hadn't been debated. Nothing had happened. It wasn't really until the Constitution is ratified that we have the document placed into being and giving it its life and validity, right? This is what James Madison said. It was the ratification conventions that gave it its life and validity. Other Before that, it's just a piece of parchment. So why should we celebrate September 17th? It didn't mean anything on September 17th. But more than that, the Constitution 
is a very flawed document. I remember uh, years ago, and I've mentioned this on this podcast, you had a, a, a individual contact me through social media, and he was asking me several questions about the Constitution. And at the end of it, I said, well, look, yeah, the Constitution was inferior to the Articles in a lot of ways, and there is a better model of a Constitution out there excluding slavery, and that's the Confederate Constitution, which has, after 80 years, the South had figured out what was wrong with the U.S. Constitution, and they had fixed it in the Confederate Constitution. But, of course, because of slavery, we can't even talk about that anymore. But, I mean, this was an, a valuable exercise in American constitutionalism. But I said, look, I mean, the U.S. Constitution is bad and it should never have been ratified. Oh, I got you. You don't really believe in the Constitution. You wrote a book on the Constitution, but you don't believe in it. My point was that if we followed the Constitution the way it was ratified, there wouldn't be a problem. But we don't really do that. We stopped doing it in 1789. Why? Because we had the Nationalists become ascendant. And they started ruining everything. The United States is not a nation. It is a federal republic. I said it on Monday. It's a federal republic. And if we start, if we start thinking that way, if we stop thinking about the United States as a national government with elected king, which is what I talked about yesterday with the presidency and delegitimizing the presidency, we're on our way to restoring the federal republic. Podcasts like this and publications and other things that push this, this message... I'm sure there's a new book coming out by Kevin Goodsman in December. You're going to want to pick it up on the Jefferson administration, the Madison administration, Monroe administration, the three of them together. I, his thesis is, what I understand, that Jefferson's first inaugural really set the stage for the next 24 years of American government. And he's going to carry that through. It's going to be a fantastic book. So what he's going to outline is that real America, the way people recognized America, was that Jefferson first inaugural. And that's fantastic. I never do interviews on this podcast, but maybe sometime I'll try to do an interview with Gutsman on the book because it's this this needs to get out there in, in a broader audience to really talk about this stuff. But regardless, um, that's important. And, and, and of course, Gutsman is a hammers home all the time in all of his work, even his book on Jefferson, that Jefferson's primary drive was to create was to adhere to federalism, you know, limited federalism, real federalism, not the Federalist Party, but federalism, which meant a decentralized federal republic. That was his driving political philosophy. And New England could be New England, and, and Virginia could be Virginia. And South Carolina could be South Carolina. He may not like it. I mean, look, he didn't like things, even about his own state. It's why he sought to reform things in his own state, but it never went beyond his mountains. And that is the key to understanding the American constitutional experiment, right? It's that. You don't have the U.S. Constitution without federalism. The real distortion in America is not the fact that we don't celebrate Constitution Day. It's that we have this faux belief that the Constitution created a nation. And that comes straight out of Lincoln. Now, this piece I'm going to talk about actually says that. It gets into that at the end of the piece. You see, what we have today in our reverence for the Constitution was created by Abraham Lincoln in 1863, in November of 1863, at the Gettysburg Address. Republicans have been talking about this for years before that, but Lincoln just made it because he's president, hence executive government. We tend to focus more on it because Lincoln said it. So this piece is uh, written by a man named John Vile, and John Vile is a professor of political science and dean of the University of Honors, Honors College at Middle Tennessee State University. He's a PhD in government, uh, 
from the University of, of Virginia. So, I mean, look, it went to a very prominent school, good school. Um, but uh, John Vile thinks that we need to uh, revere the Constitution. And we need to have a holiday for it. So let me read this. This is nationalist nonsense. He says, July 4th is a national holiday. September 17th is not. The first date marks the adoption of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, and the second designates the day in 1787 on which delegates to the Constitutional Convention signed the unamended U.S. Constitution. Although the Second Continental Congress had announced the nation's intentions to declare its independence two days before formally adopting the Declaration, when delegates signed the Constitution, it had not yet been sent to the states for ratification. Now, um, let me say this. Constitution Day, if you do a search for Constitution Day, what you're going to find is that most of the sites that were promoting Constitution Day are conservative, quote-unquote conservative. National Review, I think, ran like 50 pieces on Constitution Day. Right? And conservatives, again, quote-unquote, tend to do more with this than the left because the left doesn't really care for the Constitution at all. They don't want it. They're now openly saying, and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, they're saying out loud what they've always said, what they've always believed, I should say, which is the Constitution is worthless to them. They just need to go around it. So the right has this love affair with the Constitution, but what they don't realize is that when they start talking about the Constitution, they talk about it in terms of Lincoln's Constitution and a national Constitution. They're undermining their positions. They're creating the climate that allows the left to do exactly what they want, which is undermine the Constitution. The two documents are sometimes confused in the popular mind. The first, largely authored by Thomas Jefferson and significantly altered by the Congress, begins with the words, When in the course of human events. The preamble of the second, crafted by a convention in which James Madison played a major role, begins with, We the people. The first document proclaims that all men are created equal, that all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that governments are created to secure these rights, and that the people have the right to overthrow and establish new ones when existing governments fail to do so. The majority of the text, arranged much like a legal brief, is designed to show that the British king, aided by a parliament, had violated the rights of the colonies. When the Declaration was adopted, many states were already writing their own constitutions, and in time, Congress proposed and the states' legislatures ratified the Articles of Confederation through which states joined together on matters of common defense. I can't discount any of this. I mean, all this is true. Now, one thing I will say, though, is that people that talk about the, the uh, Declaration don't often refer back to what it was really modeled after, which was the English Bill of Rights. If you go back and look at it, and you look at the structure, they're almost identical. The English Bill of Rights is an indictment of King James II. The United States, the uh, Declaration of Independence is an indictment of King George III. They're the exact same thing. Now, when you look at the English Bill of Rights and a Declaration of Rights... Jefferson's sort of doing that in the Declaration in that first, uh, second paragraph, I should say, that first line of the second paragraph, sort of. But he said it was simply an expression of the American mind. It wasn't really anything that people thought was radical. I mean, we're just, these are things that we had always believed. Formally adopted in 1781, this document, the Articles of Confederation, was vested primary power or sovereignty in the states. The feeble Congress that it established proved inadequate, and delegates gathered in the summer of 1787 in Philadelphia to hammer out a new constitution that we are celebrating during Constitution Week. 
Legislative efforts of Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia led public institutions of higher learning to celebrate this event, but the day is not a national holiday. Thank goodness. It doesn't need to be a national holiday. That's ridiculous. We don't need a national holiday for the Constitution. We're celebrating the state then. I mean, this is something Lincoln would have certainly supported. If you take my Reading Abraham Lincoln class at McClanahan Academy, I talk about his Lyceum Address. He he lays this out. We need to have a state religion, a secular religion, and that's exactly what these things do. Now, July 4th is not really a celebration of the Declaration. It's a celebration of independence. It's Independence Day. It's not celebrating the document. And we don't need to confuse those things either. The most important part of the Declaration is the last couple of paragraphs. Most importantly, the paragraph that talks about we're forming or we're creating our independence, right? It's, it's free and independent states. These states have the same rights as the state of Great Britain. That's the important part about it, not the second paragraph and the first line of the second paragraph. That There are some things in it, you know, where he talks about people are, are willing to suffer. Uh, they're willing to go through bad governments because they're naturally conservative. But we have to, you know, there is a time when these things become necessary to create new government. Jefferson's uh, summary of the uh, the rights of of uh, the citizens. I mean, this this summary view of of the uh, of the situation in 1774 was better, right? It's a better document than the Declaration. If you want to read Jefferson at his finest, read the summary view, 1774. It's just so much better. So then, Vile says the Constitution has not reached the rhetorical heights of the Declaration. It focuses on the difficult task of creating institutions to provide security while preserving liberty. The Constitution replaced a weak, unicameral, one-house legislature in which all states were equally represented with a stronger bicameral, two-house Congress in which one house represented states according to population with numerous enumerated powers. One house represented states according to population. Both, he leaves off. <laughs> he leaves off. The other house represented the states It represented the states in their sovereign capacity. And this was argued over and over and over again. He does, it is clear that he represented the states according to population. There's a typo with numerous enumerated powers. There's a period after that. Yes, it had numerous enumerated powers, delegated powers. Those are the only powers it had. Nothing else. That's how James Wilson argued. And, of course, states represented states according to population. That's the House. That's it. Not not the Senate. The Senate represented the states. You see, this is the dirty little secret. The states were still integral, and the Senate had more powers because the states could check the entire system. That was the point, right? It substituted three branches of the new government for one, In the process, it added a unitary president who served four-year terms and a judicial branch whose appointed members served during good behavior. The document strengthened the power of the national government. Ah, it didn't create a national government. It created a federal republic, a general government, or it maintained the federal republic, I should say. It created a general government with specific enumerated powers. General powers. Who granted the the powers? The people of the states. They couldn't do it Collectively, they did it through the states because that's the only vehicle they could. The states had to create this thing. While retaining states in a federal system, it also provided for a formal constitutional amending process. 
So this is what he said. This, the document strengthened the powers of the national government while retaining states in a federal system. It didn't strengthen the power of the national, strengthen the power of the general government, the central government, and it did maintain a federal republic. Some scholars have interpreted the Constitution as a conservative reaction to revolutionary aspirations, but it more accurately provided institutions and other mechanisms designed to secure the rights that the revolutionaries had proclaimed. It more accurately provided institutions and other mechanisms designed to secure the rights the revolutionaries have proclaimed. So, um, I think when you look at the Constitution, it was a conservative document in that you were using it to limit the power of the center, and as members of the Philadelphia Convention pointed out, to limit democracy, to limit paper money. There were certainly things they thought they could do with the center that that were going on with the center that they couldn't do with this document that they thought would be would better secure, and he is right, independence of the United States, independence of the states united. This is what Randolph argued in the Virginia Ratifying Convention. If we don't ratify this, we are going to be picked off. Virginia tries to go independent, it will be picked off. It'll become a colony of Britain again or France. It'll do these things. If we don't stay as a unified general government, it'll we'll all be picked apart. That was the point. So it was there to maintain independence of the states. It's gone beyond that now. The functions have now turned, turned imperial because we have a presidency that's an elected monarchy. We have a Congress that has too much, that does too much. We have an administrative state that you can't get rid of, a bureaucracy that's become oppressive. This is, you know, if you look at the declaration, one of the charges against the king is that he sent hither swarms of bureaucrats, essentially, to harass our people and eat out their substance, right? I mean, this is what this is what we have in the United States. Shortly after ratification, America's leaders adopted 10 amendments that sought to secure freedoms of speech and religion, provide for legal due process, and protect other rights against federal action. This helped ensure that the American Revolution was not followed by, by violence against internal enemies, but by state building. So now I'll say this. He does make a point here to say and protect other rights against federal action. Against federal action, not state action. It protected freedom of speech and religion only against federal action, not against state action. Again, the Constitution applied only to the central government unless it was denied by the states in Article 1, Section 10. The states could do whatever they wanted. That's the dirty little secret again. It's a federal republic. This is what I say. Okay, Constitution, if, if we celebrate the Constitution, that's fine. That's fine. But you have to celebrate it in how it was ratified, which is a federal republic, and we're not going to do that. So that's why Constitution Day is ridiculous. And we shouldn't even have that on September 17th anyways. I mean, if you want to celebrate the day the Constitution becomes effective, well, then celebrate it after New York, New York and Virginia ratify the document, right? That's when it really has its most teeth. That will be July of 1788. June, July of 1788. Abraham Lincoln interpreted the Constitution through the lens of the Declaration, which is the problem, right? You don't, you can't do that. They're two different things. Now, Vile doesn't say that, but they are two different things. 
Drawing from a biblical analogy, Lincoln famously described the principles of the Declaration as an, appe- as an apple of gold and the Union, the con- Constitution, as the picture designed not to conceal or destroy the apple, but to adorn and preserve it. Although the Constitution did not affirmatively approve of slavery, it tolerated and protected it. After the Civil War, these accommodations were eliminated. It did not affirmatively approve of slavery. It tolerated and protected it. Why? Because it was a federal union. He had slaveholding states in it. right? So it's a union of states. One thing that's interesting, and if you take that McClanahan Academy Live class, I'm going to talk about this with the Southern interpretation of some things. One thing they point out is that in the if you want to go with the preamble to the Constitution, that term domestic, domestic tranquility means something. If domestic tranquility was that important, then if you were if any state or any section was advocating something that could produce violence, as this piece says, and that would be violence in any way, that would be violating the Constitution, right? So this is this is a problem with the Lincolnian interpretation of the document, the radical Republican interpretation of the document. They were promoting violence. After the Civil War, these accommodations were eliminated. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 14th aligned the Constitution more closely with the principle of the Declaration by seeking to guarantee that all persons born or naturalized in the United States should be accorded equal protection, due process of law, and the privileges and immunities of such citizenship. So the 14th Amendment, grand day. Well, of course, I would disagree with that because that's been the weapon used to create nationalization of everything, right? And that's the problem with it. But... That will be a whole nother talk, and I do this at McLeanahan Academy. You can get into my opinions on the 14th Amendment there, but um, it has been a disaster, an unmitigated disaster, and it was interpreted properly right after it was ratified by the Supreme Court, only later distorted by the 20th century courts. Both the Declaration and the Constitution are deeply enmeshed in American life, just as some instruments are best played with an accompaniment so too, these two documents form a duet of liberty. A duet of liberty. We need to have a national holiday about the Constitution. That's what John Vile thinks. Um, I think that's a ridiculous position. I mean, look, we can talk about the Constitution. We should. But I pointed this out before, and I said this on this podcast. You know, for example, South Carolina passed a law, the state of South Carolina, saying that you had to have uh, the founding documents taught in colleges and universities and in schools. They had to be taught. So, what does that mean? Well, what you're going to have is a bunch of lefties teaching these things the way they want to, which would be they're all you know horrible things. Look at all these racism, sexism, you know, hate for these groups. Look at all of this. These are bad. They're teaching it. They're teaching the Constitution the way they want to teach it. This is why this is this is a dangerous thing to say. We got to teach the Constitution. Well, how are you going to teach it? You're going to teach it like John Vile. You're going to teach it like Brian McClanahan. You're going to teach it like uh, Alan Gelzo. You're going to teach it like uh, you know someone like Barack Obama would teach you? How are you going to teach it? What are you going to do? The Declaration? You're going to teach it like a neocon? You're going to teach it like a West Coast Straussian? Or are you going to teach it like uh, you know, Emmy Bradford? I mean, how are you going to teach it? Are you going to teach it like a, a leftist? What are you going to do? Th- there's too much interpretation open for these things, and that's a major problem. So I wanted to cover this today because I thought it was important to kind of link what happened yesterday with that last statement. This doesn't bode well for the Constitution 235 years in. The Constitution has been ruined, and it's ruined in the way we think about it by Lincoln. 
by the nationalists. It's been ruined for a long period of time because we've lost that federal republic character of the document. And we've allowed the central authority to do just about whatever it wants. And once you get that, and then it all becomes about power, you get the elected king, you get the Congress that's unstoppable, and you get the bureaucratic state, you get all of this stuff. If we really want to go back and teach the Constitution, the Declaration properly, you teach it within the framework of a federal republic and decentralization. That process, though, lost in 1865. And what you had later on, of course, was uh, this belief that somehow Southerners were wrong about everything they said, that the, that the Republicans were right about everything they said about the founding period, the, document, the Constitution, the Declaration. And once you go down that path, you've opened the Pandora's box to the left, and it will always, for the left, and it will always produce the current political and economic climate we have in America. There's no changing it. I think that's the important takeaway from all of the things we've talked about on this podcast, right? And and also, you know, looking at the at the Declaration of the Constitution, when you look at the history of it, this is this is what happens, right? When you when you put Lincoln in there and saying, "Well, this is what Lincoln said about it," well, you've already lost. Now, I mentioned before that, you know, when the left uses Lincoln, they're doing it the right way. Lincoln was a leftist. He's not a conservative. He's a leftist. 100% Lincoln was a leftist. And so, you know, by using Lincoln, if you use Lincoln, well, you're just adhering to American leftism in, some, in one way or another. Uh, and this is, when the right uses Lincoln, they're doing themselves a disservice. All right. That's it for today. Uh, I've got another great show tomorrow. I'm going to talk about uh, the future of Republicans because we had this thing with, with Cheney, Abraham Lincoln, Grant Cheney, and of course Hagman. And where that leaves the party and what the left thinks. We talked about the Washington Post yesterday. I'm going to continue that with a great piece by Paul Gottfried tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 